Welcome to the Passive Income Podcast. I am your host, David and Dave. Thank you so much for joining us on another incredible episode. Be sure to subscribe. I have so many upcoming incredible guests that you will not want to miss. And I've also had so many guests in the past already, just in the last month. So make sure to go back and check out some of those podcasts as well. And speaking of incredible guests, Brandon at Green Candlelit. So I'm going to throw it over to you, Brandon, and give yourself a brief introduction, and we'll just go from there. Hey, how's it going? Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, yeah, as you said, I'm Brandon at Green Candle IT. Um, yeah, just I guess a little bit about me and Green Candle. I have a newsletter I write two a week, have some guest writers on there. Um, I do Twitter spaces on Tuesday nights and Friday afternoons. And I got two podcasts. One's the Macro Insights, kind of just general, you know, investing things, macroeconomics and the stock market. And sometimes there's a real estate guest here or there. And then on Fridays, I drop my State of Bitcoin podcast. So I, I, I do a little everything on here. So cool. I appreciate you having me on and I'm uh, excited for this discussion. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, I'm definitely interested to talk about Bitcoin and crypto as we get into this episode of the podcast. But let's first just maybe go over some of the different sectors in the market, sort of what you like, what you don't like, anything that comes up. Um, I guess just for the viewers and listeners, um, Brandon is in Tampa, Florida. I'm in Ontario, Canada. So there's going to be some back and forth here where we're comparing the, the U.S. and Canadian markets, some of the similarities, some of the differences. So yeah, let's get right into it. One of the first sectors I always like to start off with is REITs. And as an American investor, probably the top of your list on REITs is O, realty income. So any thoughts on on O or any other REITs that you would like to discuss? Yeah, uh, I mean, I so I personally don't own any REITs and I don't really invest in any of the REITs, uh, you know, in the stock market. I I own a duplex that I'm that I'm sitting in right now um, that I live in pa- uh, half and Airbnb out the other half. Um, but I don't discourage anybody from doing that. Obviously, not financial advice or anything like yeah. that, because uh, there is a big barrier to entry to kind of get in and and do all that. But I think you know me personally, some of the benefits that I see is in real estate is you kind of have more control over it yourself. Um, so you can, you know. Yeah, you need a place to live one. Yep. You can kind of pick a market if you'd like to do some sort of long distance. Maybe it's unattainable in the area that you live, but you know, you could buy one in a small town in, you know, say Texas or something like that. Um, and uh, you could kind of control and do some research and figure out some growing areas and maybe you, you know, you can get lucky in that. Uh, whereas, you know, when you invest in REITs and and other stock market uh, you know, businesses. You don't really have too much control of it. You're kind of just judging it based off of, you know, uh, other people, management, that kind of sort yeah. of thing. And so that's that's kind of my draw to real estate. Um, so that's why, you know, personally, I don't invest in any REITs. Uh, and, you know, but I, like I said, I, I don't really discourage anybody from from doing it. I just think that, you know, personally, I, you know, I, I do think that there's a place for real estate in everybody's portfolio it's just exactly you know how how you kind of want to look at it um but yeah i'd love to hear your thoughts on it <laughs> yeah and, i have uh, a couple of thoughts to your comments uh yeah. one great 
in less in under the three minute mark, we've already got in the non-financial advice. So that's great. <laughs> <laughs> of course, We're just you guys having a discussion about investing and that's all this is, right? Is it just a discussion? But yeah, real estate, I'm kind of, I think on the opposite end of the spectrum of you, which is why I like REITs is because I don't want that phone call at 2 a.m. from a tenant that says, oh, I don't have, there's no hot water or the power's out. And you're like, well, guess what? Everybody's power is out, right? <laughs> like, or, or any of those phone calls at any time of the day or night. Whereas with REITs, you invest in that real estate. So you still have that position in real estate, but you're not dealing with, with the tenants. My, my other kind of point to, to you being in Tampa and having the other half of your, your duplex being an Airbnb, that's great. That's location, 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 right? You're in Florida. People go, I, personally, myself as a Canadian, I've been to Florida a couple of times. I've been to Tampa. So I, I understand that that's, that's a draw, right? It really, you know, it really does depend on location for doing those types of things. People aren't going to go, not many people are going to go to, you know, Yellowknife. I'm guessing you don't know where Yellowknife even is. <laughs> no, it's in I, Northern yeah. Canada and not many people go there, right? Yeah. But it, I, I mean, I get it too. You know, there, I could have a long-term tenant. So, I mean, there's, there's positives and negatives to Airbnbs, right? There's more right. turnover, um, you know, you got to deal with cleaners, you got to deal with all that kind of stuff. But generally speaking, because there's more management to it, you make a little bit more money. Right. Um, but there's also, you know, that that risk in there, too, where it's like, a, especially coming up right now, where, uh, you know, the macro environment, the recession, you know, you can make arguments that we're already in it, or yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're getting there, you know, what have you take less holidays and not end up in Tampa, Florida, they're gonna vacation more like the staycation sort of close to home yeah exactly and so that's where i think like i kind of have you know a little bit of a benefit of being in in tampa because you know there is some other you know cities and things like that i'm not necessarily in the panhandle where i have all that access to you know basically the southeast united states that that'll drive down to you know some some city up there like a destin or something along those lines but right. um you know, I am still close enough to those areas where if somebody wants to make the trip down, uh, I am very close to downtown Tampa. And, you know, obviously we have we have sports teams and other things like that going on here. Yeah. As well. So, I, I mean, I did have a long term tenant initially for a year um, and then we saw rent kind of skyrocket. And the reason I kind of went to um, I went to uh, uh, Airbnb and posed another long term tenant is. You know, I was just kind of having some some trouble finding an initial tenant because I'm in an in-between area where I'm not exactly downtown, but I'm not exactly like up in the suburbs or like near USF. I'm like kind of 10 minutes from everything. And so loca again, location, location, location. Yeah, it's a good location. But, um, you know, people were kind of looking at it at that time. It was right at the new year, um, right at 2021, uh, where people were, or 2022, excuse me, so at the beginning of this year, and people were kind of looking at it like, all right, I can pay a couple hundred bucks more and live downtown, or I could pay, you know, a couple hundred dollars less and be, you know, 10 minutes up the road more. And then really, what's the difference of five, 10 more minutes drive to get to downtown right. everywhere? So, um, you know, I was kind of in that in-between spot. So, 
marketing it. And I was just kind of getting annoyed. I was, you know, working my other jobs and stuff like that as well. So I had a friend that I was like, hey, if you want to run this for me, you know, you could be my property manager, whatnot. And she's like, well, did you ever consider doing Airbnb? I think you could make a couple fixes in this place, maybe put in some new paint and it'd be looking nice and we can make some good money. I'm like, all right, sure. You know, yeah. why not? I needed to do some fixing up to that unit as well. Um, so, you know, I just kind of went for it and, you know, to be honest, so far it's been great. Um, I have it majority occupied most of the time. So, I mean, nice. I think I might need to maybe tweak a little bit of that, uh, yeah. price per night, but, uh, at the same time, like I, it's, it's going really well. So, uh, fingers crossed that everything kind of still stays this way. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day too, it's, it's my only property. I live in it and I can, you know, afford the mortgage if needed. Um, nice. so it's, uh, one of those things where I decided to kind of take that risk on it too. And because I have that property manager, I don't really deal with the tenants or anything like right. that or the leaky yeah. toilets or anything like that. And so, you know, it is less cash flow because I do that, but you know, it's still more than I would. Oh, your audio. Okay, I think we're good. Uh, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. So a couple points okay, there about we were talking in our, I'm going to call it the pregame about Tampa sports teams, how well they've done over these past few years. The the Tampa Bay Lightning obviously winning a couple Stanley Cups. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, I think they've won a World Series and have been close a couple times. And obviously the, the football team signing Tom Brady. So Tampa Bay's had a really good run in the sports uh, world in the last few years and obviously that brings people into the city as well so having an airbnb can definitely capitalize on that 100 percent, i'm sure and then just out of curiosity again as a Can canadian and knowing how many canadians go to florida like every winter i'm just curious how many canadians have you booked into your airbnb like That's a percentage a like is yeah, I've had only, you know, I, I think I've only had two out of the country. One came from Puerto Rico, and I actually haven't had a Canadian yet. Um, That's I surprising we, because yeah. there's Canadians in Florida all the time, and there's always a lot of Canadians in Florida like that. Yeah, I know that. Now that I mean, I have ran into quite a few. Obviously, you know, we have uh, a big hockey presence down here, too. So we I've yeah. ran into some just outside of, you know, hockey players and whatnot. But um, yeah, I just haven't had any book, I guess. I don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe they don't like my area or what. I don't know. But well, maybe it's marketing. Maybe you just need to market to, to the Canadian audience and you know, suddenly all those bookings fill up more. Yeah, exactly. Just offer like a shot of Molson, maybe, <laughs> yeah. uh, maybe some maple syrup stocked up in there or something. I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's so stereotypical, but so true. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, moving on from REITs and real estate, um, next on my list is energy. What energy stocks are are you looking at? Anything you, in energy sector that you'd like to discuss? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, as far as stocks, you know, I think the, like the oil and gas companies, just in general, they're going to do really well. Um, you know, it's I think we're in a very, very interesting time in energy. Um, you know, if anybody's been kind of around my stuff at any point in time, you know, I have uh, Dr. Anas Alhaji on a lot of my uh, spaces and he's, you know, a very well-known uh, keynote speaker in the energy sector. And so he kind of details, you know, essentially like, I, I don't know uh, like 
how else to say it, but the Europe is is seemingly screwed. I don't know if I can swear on this show or not, but yeah. uh, <laughs> PG. I think we can keep it to that. But you're correct. Europe, yeah. like, this little tiny war that you know Russia decides to invade Ukraine, and you look at that from a global perspective, thinking, well, Russia's this huge country with this massive military. They should just plow over Ukraine. And it should have been over. You would have thought that was going to be over in like three, four weeks. They were just going to take over Ukraine. That was sort of an end of story. And here we are going on 10, 10 months later. It's going to, it's coming up on a year real soon. Right. And it's obviously, you know, Germany is so dependent on, on Russian oil and gas, which is just, like you said, it's screwed the European market. So, yeah, I, I mean, we could probably do another whole podcast just on on the European energy crisis. And for some reason, somehow that's affected North America as well. Yeah, no, it definitely has. And I think, uh, you know, because at the end of the day, right now, as everything stands, uh, everything is a very globalistic. Uh, it's a very globalistic economy, global yeah. economy. You know, everything's kind of connected. And at the end of the day, everything's connected to energy, no matter what it is, right? right. You need fuel to drive whatever groceries to the grocery store. Um, you need energy to have the lights on, energy to keep meat packaged and, and cold in order for people to, you know, uh, keep their their food fresh and everything like that, too. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think it's going to be a real interesting time for energy. You know, I think I don't have any specific companies, but I do own a uranium ETF and a nuclear ETF, because I think, you know, there's going to be obviously winners and losers in every sector, every subsector. But I think overall, the kind of transition to nuclear energy is going to be huge. And I know that Germany, even amidst all of this hubbub about, you know, being so dependent on Russia for oil and gas, surprisingly, they kind of shut off the nuclear plants initially, but I think they're kind of going back on that right now. Um, so I, would I mean, they I think, have to bring them back online. Yeah, exactly. I think they've shut down. It, like, I, I don't know the background there of, of what Germany has as far as nuclear power plants, but anything they've shut down, if it's feasible for them to bring it back online, you would think they, they would seriously be thinking about having to do that. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, Russia is still very, you know, energy, to, I guess, energy strong or I don't, I, I'm, missing on the word right now but no i know um, what you mean they're they're one of the biggest players in the world right like for that production of the oil and gas along with the u.s along with canada along with saudi arabia iraq right like we know where the oil and gas comes from venezuela somehow venezuela is the poorest rich country i don't understand how that's happened but that's again that could be a whole other podcast yeah (laughs) and i mean i think you know like like we said, a lot of it has kind of had to do with the, a lot of the green energy policies, right? So I think we might kind of see a backtrack on that. Yeah. Um, so that makes me kind of bullish on a lot of the American oil and gas companies like Exxon, Shell, those kind of yeah. uh, companies. Because I think, you know, at the end of the day, there's more than likely seems like there's going to be a change in tide in the, uh, you know, American political system. Um, you know, it just seems like with the recession and all this massive amounts of inflation, the American people are pretty frustrated. I know we got the midterms going on right now, so it'll kind of be interesting to see how those things kind of play out. But, um, inflation is killing everyone. 
Yeah, no, exactly. And I, I mean, we can get into that a little bit later uh, about how, you know, I view it's bad in the U S but I think it's a lot worse, you know, everywhere else. But, yeah. um, you know, I think, uh, I, I think at the end of the day, the uh, you know, a lot of these green energy policies that have forced, uh, you know, Shell, Exxon, a lot of these companies to shut down some of their rigs in the United States, uh, yeah. they're going to kind of start to try to come back online soon um, because the U.S. has been depleting a lot of their oil reserves. And yeah. every time they kind of build them back up, they keep deploying more to kind of just uh, deflate that that oil and that, or that gas price, even though it's, uh, you know, still, you know, still kind of like a, uh, almost like a crisis at this point. So yeah. I think like that's going to run out and they're going to be, you know, it's going to be a bright future for a lot of these companies, but um, you know, in the short term, it might be a little tough, but yeah. you know, it's, it seems like it's going to be a little tough for a lot of these companies uh, just globally anyway. Right. So as you may or may not know, the province of Alberta is the biggest oil producing province in Canada. And I see a very much a, a mirror to your statement there. A lot of companies struggling right now, but very possible, probable that in the near to not too distant future, those companies could have a good outlook because like what we're saying, we just need to bring more online to replenish those reserves or just kind of keep going in general, right? And to add to your point about everyone needing uh, energy, again, I'm in Canada and you're down there in the nice warm South. You didn't mention heating your house all winter. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't have to deal with that. I just have to deal with, you know, cooling it in the summer. Right. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I know, uh, you, you kind of mentioned, uh, I mentioned earlier like Bitcoin and and whatnot. And I kind of think that there's going to be maybe a transition into, you know, using some of those computers and everything like that to kind of start to heat homes. And I know, Alberta, where you're at, that's a very popular. Uh, I, I had a, a the chief mining officer Ben Gagnon from uh, Bit Farms on my State of Bitcoin podcast oh, uh, wow. week, and he, uh, you know, was talking about how they use a lot of hydroelectric power there. They yeah. have a bunch of plants up there. I think they have seven different facilities, and right now they just, you know, these machines build up a lot of heat, right? right. So what they do with that heat right now is just release it, and so I think. You know, I, obviously, I can't predict the future or anything like that. But I think at the end of the day, there might be some sort of uh, future where we use, you know, different kinds of energy and we use them to mine Bitcoin. And then that heat runoff is used to heat homes or, yeah. or something along that. Um, uh, so, I mean, that was something I was working on at one point in time. And now I've kind of bitten off too much. I can't choose. Yeah. So I, I've kind of put that project on a hold. Uh, for now. But uh, yeah, I definitely think that there's going to be more innovative ways, whether it's that, whether yeah. it's nuclear, um, you know, or uranium or, or something along those lines, too. I think there's going to be a lot of different energy sources. People are going to start to you know, get a little bit more innovative with it. Um, definitely. But I think, you know, there's there's a lot of limitations with the current, I quote unquote, green energy solutions with electric right. or uh, solar and uh, wind right now. So I think there's going to be uh, a big development in that in the next couple of years. And I think that's going to be out of, you know, what's going on right now with, you know, the seemingly the energy crisis that's going on in Europe. So I have a couple points there. Just one minor correction. I'm actually in Ontario, not Alberta. No big deal. Sorry, um, about that. It's all Canada to me. Yeah. Just, 
But that sort of to further to your point about energy and different ways, I work in a food manufacturing plant. We use a lot of heated water in the manufacturing process, and we actually recycle that heated water through our like heating pipes. So we use the hot water to also heat the office space of the plant. And that's exactly to your point of finding innovative ways to to reuse, recycle, not waste energy, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, there's a lot of things that are going on like that, especially in like, you know, the Bitcoin space, right? As you know, there's a lot of, uh, I guess, FUD around that where always, think, you know, yeah, people think that the miners are not uh, using quote unquote green energy, but a big, you know, big part of that right now is in oil fields, they, uh, you know, release their flare gas uh, after, you know, all the fracking and everything like that, kind of obtaining right. it from the ground. And so what a lot of miners are doing, our mining companies are doing, are taking in that flare gas, uh, which is just essentially released energy into the atmosphere and using that to power the computer. So uh, I, I agree with you. I think whether it's Bitcoin or something else, you know, maybe Bitcoin just fails and nothing else comes from it. But at the yeah. very least, I think that there's becoming some innovative way yeah. to, you know, reuse some of this wasted energy. And I think that's like, you know, a pretty, pretty significant innovation we got coming on here. So, yeah, definitely. So uh, moving on from the energy sector, another one of my favorite sectors is uh, banking financial. And as you probably know, the Canadian banks are extremely strong. And I know some of the American banks are also very strong. Obviously, you have your JP Morgan Chase, you have your Bank of Americas. Uh, the big difference between Canada and the U.S. is Canada basically has these big five banks plus a very few amount of regional banks, whereas in the U.S. there's way too many to count regional banks. Probably every state has their own regional bank, like First Bank of Wisconsin, First Bank of Texas, First Bank of Nebraska, and I'm sure the list goes on, right? Mm -hmm. So exactly. anything in the banking slash financial sector that you would like to address? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I personally, I, I don't know how I really feel about banks. I mean, I, as I've said it a few times, I'm, I'm more of a Bitcoin guy here. So right. I think that there's a lot of things going on in the banking industry that are not great right now. And I think that there's a lot of innovation here. Um, but, you know, I, I see you're pulling up this uh, these Canadian banks dividends. They do seem really juicy. So maybe I need to get in on some of those. huh? Yeah. So um, this is, again, it's a tweet from at Settling Nomad. So thank you again for putting this together. I, I've pulled this up on probably about four, maybe five straight podcasts in a row now. It's just simply way too impressive not to talk about. So BNS is Bank of Nova Scotia paying a dividend since 1833. Wow. CIBC, that's CM, Canadian Imperial Bank of Con Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, paying a dividend since 1868. Bank of Montreal since 1829. Royal Bank since 1870. Toronto Dominion since 1857. So 1829, Bank of Montreal. In seven years' time, they will be celebrating a their 200th anniversary, 200 years, of paying dividends yeah that, that's not going anywhere for can sure you, can you think of any other companies and this is like the whole sector like so 200 years there but uh royal bank 1870 so 150 they're all over 150 years 
any other sector anywhere that has been paying dividends for 150 to 200 years. Yeah, no, I can't for sure. I mean, there's, I, this seems super appealing, you know, as an investment for sure. Um, I've actually gotten into a little bit more of, uh, I guess the FinTech, uh, financial, you know, technological sector. Um, so, you know, I don't own any banks and I haven't really done too much research on that, you know, sector, but I mean, it seems like the Canadians, uh, Canadian banks got it figured out. So maybe I need to figure out a way to get, uh, some exposure to that in my portfolio because, you know, I do, I do like the dividend stocks. I think that there's a lot of benefit for that too. And, uh, you know, I, I need to get a little bit more exposure to that, I think as well. So I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the, the exposure I got to the financial industry, the biggest position I have in that sector is square or block now. Um, cause they're kind of like on the payment rail system and, you know, now they got cash app, which some people are using as like a bank and some aren't, yep. you know, with like the debit card and whatnot. Um, so I kind of like those plays, but, um, you know, I, I think like when, with banks, they've been around for so long, um, there is a lot of innovation going on right now, especially in that industry. So that's right. the one thing that kind of worries me is that, okay, you know, are they going to get hit kind of hard initially and then kind of have to come around to, you know, this new, you know, di- more digital world. Um, but it seems like they've got it figured out as far as the dividend goes and yeah. they haven't, it hasn't been hurting them since. So, I mean, you know, uh, they're obviously a very trusted name and uh, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, that that would be a pretty, pretty good one to own. So yeah, they're my- solid. So, and again, we just basically call them the top five. Like I said, there are a few regional banks, there's even uh, like sort of a sixth one that sometimes make makes the list, but that's basically those top five that I just pulled up on that chart. Um, obviously, I don't own any of them outright. I do hold them in a in at least one ETF, possibly a couple. So I do have some exposure to them. I do hope to one day start to sort of build in any or all of them because, again, yeah, that you know, paying a dividend for nearly two hundred years, it's just impressive to say the least. And just, I guess, one final thought on that. Obviously, they're all available on the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange. Uh, but I'm quite sure that they're all available on uh, the uh, the New York Exchange as well for any American viewers or listeners. Yeah, and I'm sure, um, you know, you can probably find them at, you know, some of your, you know, whatever it is. I, uh, maybe like a Robin Hood or Charles Schwab or something. I'm sure. Too. Yeah, so I'm sure. I'm almost, yeah. Actually... Yeah. I did the uh, podcast with at scoreboard investor and we were actually talking about, we somehow got off on a tangent about some of the different uh, stadium names and, and how they used to have like cool stadium names like candlestick park, but now they're, they build a new stadium. It's called AT&T park. But some of the Canadian banks have like in Boston, it's TD gardens and in Carolina for the hurricanes is the, I think, RBC is the the sponsor, which is Royal Bank. I believe they're the sponsor of, of that that stadium slash arena. So the Canadian banks do have a presence in the U.S., right? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I they definitely do, and I think like like, but like you said, there is a lot of regional ones. Um, I think there's kind of like the growing industry of just like the online banks with no like you yeah. know, retail footprint. Of course, there's still like the Chase banks and. Wells Fargo and those kind of things too. But, um, 
you know, I, I do think like the Canadian banks do have like an influence here. And then there, of course, you know, like I think when I was in college, I went to University of Memphis for my undergrad and I had banked, uh, I banked there at the first bank of Tennessee. So, I mean, it's, you know, just like you so said, to my example, like, like every state, the first bank yeah. of state name, right? Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, I, I think going back to all that, yeah, it's, it is pretty interesting. The whole banking sector, um, I think like BNY Mellon, I want to say, or something like that is the biggest uh, bank here or the oldest bank here in the United States. And uh, the reason I know that name is just because I think they just started offering you know, Bitcoin custody to their, their customers. So, um, yeah, I mean, uh, the banking industry is is pretty interesting and it seems like they're very successful at offering all these businesses or dividends for uh, such a long time. So. Yeah. You know, if you're looking for a good dividend stock, you know, that that one, uh, that looks a little juicy to me. Exactly. Again, not financial advice. Yeah. Uh, one last point about the Canadian banking and the sports. I also believe that, again, RBC Royal Bank, I'm quite sure I they well, they do sponsor the Canadian Open uh, PGA Golf Tournament. But I think they also sponsor a few other PGA Golf Tournaments in Carolina or perhaps Florida down down south somewhere. Yeah, just yeah. A total aside. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm sure they do. I, I don't really know, so I can't speak too much on that. Do they spot? No, it's because like it's the Rogers Center, right? Where the uh, is that the the Toronto Blue Jays Stadium? Yeah. So great segue into telecoms. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> and and so this is the one where I see a lot more similarity between Canada and the U.S. Because in Canada we have the top three being. Bell Canada, Talos, and Rogers. And in this day and age, they've become more than just telecommunications companies. They've also become media companies. And you're correct. There's Rogers Place, Rogers Stadium, Rogers Arena in Toronto, Edmonton, and Vancouver. And I'm not even sure which one's which. They just attach the names of Place, Stadium, and an arena to them. But sort of back to my point of the similarity where you have the big three in the U.S. as well being your AT&T your Verizon, your T-Mobile, and then you have your other smaller players. And also to that similar point, another one of my guests was mentioning, I think, was it Verizon that was involved in a deal with Comcast and maybe yeah. AT&T in a deal with Warner Brothers? So they're also becoming more like media companies, not just telecommunications companies. Yeah, exactly. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, just like you said, it seems like these, uh, you know, these internet companies and kind of, yeah, but it's interesting, right? So, you know, where I'm at, I have like a couple options for internet. Um, I have like Spectrum and maybe one other, I can't think of the name, but I have Spectrum internet at my house. But a lot of these regions, you just have one, uh, really one player yeah. in the internet uh, realm. And, you know, at this day and age, you basically need internet. So a lot of these yeah. places have monopolies. A lot of these companies have monopolies in certain sectors. And so, of course, like the more densely populated ones, they have more of an option. But, um, you know, in some of these areas, some of these cities, too, I mean, like Tampa, like I said, is a very, um, a very big city. And I have two options. So, um, you know, sounds, I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's like you know, uh, there's, there's, uh, you know, almost a monopoly on that. Um, but AT&T is, is probably the biggest one, if I had to say, because I think they have, you know, not only just phone to telecommunication, they have internet services as well. Yeah. And, then, uh, 
you know, obviously they're, they're, they just bought, I believe they just bought Warner brothers um, or one of these uh, media companies like right. that. So uh, I, I think like AT&T is probably the biggest play and it, it has shot down a lot recently. Um, I actually was kind of going back and forth with somebody on Twitter today because they felt like the AT&T's earnings had, a bigger impact on meta, which I didn't see how they're connected. Well, yeah, where's that connection? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I mean, because I've been kind of saying, I mean, this is kind of getting off a, on a tangent, but I've been saying that growth companies and meta are kind of going down the tank. And I don't think that that company is going to be along or around for that much longer. So um, right. that's, you know, maybe another point. Maybe we could get into that a little bit later. But I think as far as like the telecommunication companies go, I don't know how it is in Canada, but it seems like here in the United States uh, for Internet providers, they have seemingly a monopoly in certain areas. Yeah. And for phone, you know, if there's like really like two or three options and you can maybe go for one of the cheaper ones, but those are owned by the big guys. People don't right. really realize that. So, um, you know, I think uh, I, I think like AT and T might be one of the more popular ones. Um, you know, obviously Verizon maybe second, and then uh, I think T Mobile third. Right. Um, I want to say T Mobile was purchased by Verizon. If I if oh I really? Yeah, I I want to say I saw something like that, or there was maybe an attempt on that, and right. uh, maybe it was blocked because of monopoly, but uh, uh, like some monopoly law in the. Uh, yeah. in the u.s but i'm gonna i'm gonna look into that but i want to hear your thoughts real quick on like the telecommunication sector in canada and in the u.s just kind of as yeah, an so kind of similar that you know we do have these uh less expensive providers where you can get whatever brand name they might be where it's just like sort of a talk and text plan for the cheapest rate like a 30 dollar a month plan or whatever but again they are generally owned by the bigger player um again also your bells tell us and rogers are also internet providers so telecommunications internet media i'm in a very rural area which means i have one option for internet it's called explorenet which is separate from those big three somehow i don't know it hasn't really been um absorbed or swallowed up or gobbled up by any of those big three as of yet I don't think it's going to ExploreNet has gotten very big as far as servicing the internet in rural Canada, rural Canada. Obviously there's a lot to rural Canada. <laughs> um, yeah. So, and then kind of further to your point, there's another, not so much telecom uh, company, but called Shaw, Shaw communications. They also trade on the, on the New York stock exchange. They trade on Toronto as well, obviously. But Rogers was trying to take them over about six or eight months ago. I honestly don't know where that went. I know there was, again, kind of same ideas of rulings of monopoly, this and that. So I don't think it was ever finalized. And that's sort of my knowledge to that as of this point. I just haven't seen it in the headlines now for, for like I said, six or eight months. So I haven't haven't dug any deeper like you obviously you pull up your whatever business news website you look at and you read your headlines and maybe you click on a couple articles and then when it's not a headline anymore you kind of forget about it right 
Yeah, exactly. And I, I did look into the, the T-Mobile merger and that happened with Sprint. So Sprint was like the fourth player. So right. a third and fourth kind of mixed together. And there's still like, I mean, it just kind of speaks to the size of AT&T and, and uh, Verizon because right. they're still, you know, massively bigger than uh, T-Mobile and Sprint. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, just kind of like you said, I think that there's going to, there are going to be reliable businesses. Um Granted, you know, they've taken a little bit more of a risk, at least in the United States, kind of becoming a little bit more of media companies. Um, yeah. But at the end of the day, you know, they're going to be seeing reliable revenue with, you know, whatever Internet provider is. That's kind of a sticky moat. Usually people get in their Internet service. And unless there's something severely bad that happens, they're not changing their Internet. You know, right. somebody's not going to call, get the Internet installed and then, you know, get a new one the next month. They're usually locked in for a couple years. You know, they're renting the equipment. They're doing all that kind of stuff. They usually just set it and forget it. And so uh, same kind of thing with their phone, unless their phone bill and they just get so frustrated with everything, how it goes. Generally speaking, people kind of stay with the same phone. They like to keep the same phone number, all yeah. that kind of stuff. So, so um, we actually had a ruling. You can switch companies in Canada and take your phone number with you. Really, I think you can here in the U.S. as well, but because um, I think like my I I started off on T-Mobile and now I'm on AT&T, but um, you know it is one of those things too. Like it, it's still like I I switched one time and I've had AT&T now I don't know how many years, but I've had it for for quite some time. So right. um, you know, as long as it's yeah, relatively good price, not anything astronomically more than the other guys, uh, you know. I think like most people just kind of said, like I said, set it and forget it. And yeah. so it's, so it's speaking a good of price. Go ahead. Speaking of price, Canada pays the highest cell phone rates in the world. Why price. is that? Do you know? Uh, well, because they're extremely good at gouging. They say, <laughs> they say the reason is because Canada is such a big country with such a low population, which I guess it does kind of make sense. Um, the last time I looked it up, which actually wasn't that long ago, the next highest was, I believe, South Africa. But we were still like 15% above their cell phone rates. Wow. So, yeah, we, we pay a lot for cell phone in Canada. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, I had no idea on that. I knew that you guys uh, paid, uh, like, as far as, like, energy usage goes, uh, Canada has the most of any uh, country in the world. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know... I mean, I've, obviously, that's because of your your harsh winters and everything like that yeah. across the country. But um, yeah, I didn't know that about the, the cell phones. But it, it does kind of make sense um, because there's probably like less towers and and things like that too. So oh yeah, there's a lot of like if you go up to northern Ontario, there's a lot of places where there's no cell cell phone coverage or anywhere north, right? Where there's just more polar more more polar bears than people <laughs> yeah, I'm and that's sure. not even an exaggeration <laughs> yeah i'm sure that's like that too so you know i'm gonna stay down here in sunny florida where i don't have to really worry about the winters or anything like that so uh well, you said you grew up in chicago so you know what winters are all about chicago yeah well nice that's that's why i'm well. down here you know that's why i'm down here i had to escape those <laughs> been there done that exactly Okay, yeah. So just, I guess, quickly, last point on the telecoms, both on, on both sides of the border, good companies, good dividend paying stocks, not financial advice, but 
you know, I hold a, a little, a small, very small position in Bell. I hold in that same ETF I was talking about the banks. It also has positions in, in some of the telecoms as well. So, yeah, moving on from the telecoms, another sector I like to discuss is healthcare because that's obviously very different between Canada and the U.S. And actually, I this before I throw it over to you, I have one called Northwest Healthcare, which is actually a REIT that invests in healthcare properties. So I like it for a couple of reasons. It sort of, it does cover two sectors at once, but it also pays that healthy monthly REIT dividend. Um, so anyways, yeah, that's just one of my healthcare um, plays. I'm going to throw it over to you to sort of discuss anything in, in the healthcare sector. Yeah, for sure. So I do, like, like I said at the beginning of the show, I do a, uh, a newsletter and usually how I kind of structure it is I do, uh, I break down a sector and then I do three companies, three of the bigger ones, and then an ETF in that sector. And I drop that newsletter every Monday. Uh, and one of the ones that I recently did was on the healthcare sector. So um, it kind of worked out pretty well that you're br- bringing this one up. But yeah. I think like it's uh, for me and the, the interesting part about the healthcare sector I think for me is that there's so many aspects about it, especially in the United States. Obviously, you know, in Canada, you guys have, uh, you know, uh, insurance provided by our healthcare kind of provided by uh, the government. Is that? Yeah. Universal healthcare. Actually, it's not, it's all the first world countries except for the U S it's Canada, UK, Australia, Sweden, Norway, Germany. Every first world country looks at the U S and goes, why don't you guys have this too? (laughs) Hey, I mean, I don't know. I mean, personally, I kind of like the way that we have it because, you know, I think uh, I, I, like I kind of mentioned, or I don't know if I mentioned this earlier, maybe it was pre-show, but I went to the University of Memphis. I ran track there. And for some odd reason, our women's soccer team has a big connection to the, to Canada. So um, like, I think like at that time when I went there, like 80% of the team was Canadian. Um, so the girls we, on the we team were Canadian girls playing soccer for u of m yeah exactly yeah so um we would have a lot of them and uh you know at the end of the day they would tell me after they get some injuries whether it's like a knee injury or something kind of more significant they would come down to the states to get the surgery because in canada the waiting list was so long um and so i mean i think there's positives and negatives to it you know if you're an active user of the healthcare system you know it's it's great uh, but if you, you know, maybe if you're a younger age like me and you don't really go to the doctor as frequently, right. you know, uh, getting that, that health insurance and stuff like that, it's, it's probably just, just fine. You know, I mean, and a lot of people in the United States too, they get their health coverage paid for by companies. And so the companies they that, work for. Yeah, exactly. And what that kind of brings me to is like the biggest healthcare company in the United States is uh, United Health Group, which is, you know, kind of a jack of all trades. They've got insurance and, and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, and I, I kind of like those businesses more because, you know, as I said, with the stickiness of the, uh, you know, telecom companies, I like the stickiness of the health insurance companies in the U.S. Um, and I also kind of like the, the retail stores too, like the CVS and Walgreens, because, you know, if you live within a proximity of a CVS and you are, you know, getting a lot of pharmaceutical drugs, um, which, you know, 
whether or not you agree with all the kind of pharmaceutical uses going on in the United States is neither here nor there. Regardless yeah. of that point, if you have one down the street from you, you're not going to change from going and go drive 30 minutes to some other one. You're going to continue right. to go to that CVS at your end of your block. So I think the stickiness of those companies is great. Um, I'm not a huge fan in a lot of these like biotech kind of companies. Um, if you can kind of categorize those in the healthcare industry, I don't really know, like maybe like a Pfizer or a Moderna or anything like that. Cause yeah, I think you probably you know, those, can. Yeah. Cause those are a lot of boom and bust. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, I, I, I just think there's a lot more inherent risk with those ones. You know, maybe you got lucky with some of that. You heard rumblings about the COVID vaccines and whatnot, but I think, you know, as far as that kind of sector goes, at least, you know, I don't know how it is in Canada, but in Florida, it's basically done with at this point. So, um, you know, I I think uh, for me, the the companies that I like in this health healthcare industry are a lot of the, uh, you know, the United Health Groups and and CBS uh, companies that kind of have that moat and um, they don't seem to be going anywhere. They're just steady, reliable. And uh, yeah, you could almost put Walmart into that. Like if you're going to, count cvs you have your your pharmacy at walmart you have your pharmacy at so many other uh you know sort of your retail grocery stores that also have a pharmacy and if if they're trading on the stock market you'd almost like i said with my northwest healthcare where it doubles sectors you could say like hey walmart has a little piece of the healthcare sector too right which i guess it does i'd never thought of it that way before yeah exactly because i mean like all right so you know, like in, I grew up in Texas. So there, the grocery store there is HEB and here in Florida, it's Publix, right? So yeah. if you could go to Publix and get your flu shot or what, you know, uh, pick up your stuff while you're getting groceries, like, you know, people are going to do that. So, yeah. um, you know, I think like at the end of the day, that's enough exposure where it's like, it just kind of depends on like what you're kind of looking to get. Cause I like a lot of these companies where they have like a very strong moat. They have like a couple different industries. They're not very, you know, they're not very, uh, I guess, singularly focused in a sense. Like they're big enough now where they have enough, you know, kind of hands in different different piles. And so like it'll take a lot for that company to fail when I'm looking at some of these industries. Um, Granted, there's not probably as much boom or bust for a lot of these companies. But I think like especially in a time like now when, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market. There's a lot of uncertainty in the global economy. I think like a lot of these companies with a lot of area or a lot of, uh, they, they gain a lot of revenue in a bunch of different areas are probably the safer bet, at least for me and my perspective, obviously not financial advice. So, yeah. <laughs> No. And, and another great segue. Cause I, you know, consumer staples is on my, on my list of sectors to talk about. So you have you have your WalMarts. Your I'm not sure if Publix is a public publicly traded company or not. I, I'm guessing it might be. Um, I don't think so. I'm not sure, but I don't and then think so. Costco's in that consumer staples. Probably I'm guessing Costco's probably some of them have pharmacies. I don't even, I don't go into Costco's too often, so I'm not even sure. But um, yeah, I, like I said, just sort of a segue into consumer staples. Anything in that sector that yeah impresses um, you. Yeah, and that's I where mean, you've got your Coke, your Pepsi, like everything, right? Yeah, so I think like a lot of these industries, it's uh, you know, especially like a Walmart, right? So what I'm looking at are companies that are kind of, I guess, more targeted towards, uh, you know, the middle American right now, right? Because yeah, when it comes to tough times, 
no matter how wealthy you are or whatever, like you might not go shopping at, at Whole Foods when it's in the midst of a recession or, you know, you're in, you got a Whole Foods right next to you and, you know, you just lost your job. You're probably going to go to Walmart or an Aldi or, you know, yeah. some sort of store to kind of save some money and try to cut some costs. And I think like the most obvious place where people kind of try to do that is when it comes to shopping and food and just like everyday expenses and, you know, those consumer staples. So I think those, uh, with the uncertain environment are going to be pretty strong. Um, and I'll be looking at those companies too, that, that have a lot of their own brands because they save a lot of money when people kind of go and flock towards those, uh, you know, whether it's a Target brand or a Walmart brand or, or what have you. So, uh, I think, you know, as far as those goes, I think, uh, you know, Walmart, I, I would definitely, you know, consider getting into and, uh, they're going to see a dip, uh, in purchasing and everything like that. Obviously, we're getting close to the holidays here, so I'm not sure quite, quite when this is getting released. But um, you know, it, 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 you always see that kind of increase in um, you know revenue towards the end of the year. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, Walmart's going to be good. Maybe a Target, and maybe if you could get some exposure to some of those like cheaper, you know, everyday products that people just know and love, right? So Coca Cola, Pepsi, what what have you? I think, uh, you know, those are gonna get get in for for the long run. And I think, you know, not it's not just like Coke, right? So Coke owns Powerade and and all those other kind of drinks as so well. Many. So, yeah, I'm sure you've so, probably seen the chart um, on Twitter or wherever else that breaks down the grocery store into basically. 10, Five yeah, yeah, like you, you've got your General Mills, your Procter and Gamble, your Coke and Pepsi, uh, your Kellogg's, and sort of a few others. I can't remember exactly everything that's on that chart. I'm sure you've probably seen it, and that all the brands within that co- those companies, right? Your your Kraft Heinz obviously is one of those big players as well, and all the brands inside that umbrella makes it yeah. very attractive. Um, further to your point, sorry to cut you off, but further to your point about sort of going through a recession, my point is people are going to eat every single day, whether it's a recession or not, you have to eat. Right. So that's why the consumer staples like your Walmarts and Costco's, I think are good plays. Obviously here in Canada, we have uh, other grocery stores as well that are on the Toronto stock exchange. You can also obviously buy us stocks in Canada, but again, that's an aside, but I'm, I'm just saying these, the grocery stores are, are a solid pick through a recession because people still have to eat. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I agree with you hundred percent. And I think that that's kind of, kind of, that trend is, is not going anywhere. Right. I mean, people are always going to have to eat, um, but they might be looking for maybe a little bit more cheaper options. Yes. At point. So, um, you know, I think it's, it's an interesting play and I think, you know, it, it just, I think overall, we're going to see like a big dip in the stock market in general. Um, we might see some mini run-ups here or there, but I think like, you know, we're kind of in for maybe a little bit of darker times um, in the, uh, in the near future. But I think, you know, that just means they're cheaper for, you know, for those who are, have a little bit of a longer time horizon. So, yeah. um, you know, I think, uh, I think the outlook on some consumer staples is really good. Yeah. So just on a personal level, like dealing with inflation, you know, these last few months going grocery shopping, there's been 
kind of going to your point about sort of cutting back a little bit. Yeah, there's been lots of times where it's like, you know what, I, I'm not going to buy a couple bags of chips this week because I don't need potato chips. Sure, they're a nice thing to have, but I don't need those to survive. You know, I do need other like sustainable food to survive, right? So, yeah, that, exactly. that's kind of my point to inflation and recession and <clears throat> just on a very personal level. It's like you, you got to find ways to to deal with it basically, right? Oh, 100%. And I think that that's kind of kind of continue, right? So, um yeah, I, I just think it'll be it'll be interesting to see how a lot of these uh companies and and things like that, that earnings that come out, uh, maybe not, you won't see it this quarter, but especially uh, you know, coming up on the holidays, right? Are people going to be splurging as much on those uh, right. you know, holiday dinners? Um, you know, a, a lot of different factors, right? So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's going to be something that I think, uh, you know, it's definitely something to look out for as, especially like right now, we're seeing a lot of growth stocks and, and the FANG stocks even getting taken, uh, taking a huge hit. So, uh, I don't think we're going to see the consumer staples quite hit that hit, but right. um, maybe we'll see them start to miss expectations by, you know, a good amount or change expectations like midway through the quarter. Okay. Last on my list is technology. And I know that earnings came out today or recently for uh, Meta and I think Google and probably, and a bunch of others. But honestly, I don't really want to talk about those stocks because I want to talk about the technology of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency with you. So let's talk a little bit about crypto as we get to the end of this podcast episode. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, like uh, I've kind of said it a couple of times. I've got a podcast and everything like that. I'm really interested in those kind of companies. Um, one thing that I'm worried about right now is kind of mixes in with the energy sector is a lot of these Bitcoin mining companies. So I'm. Uh, as far as like Bitcoin and crypto goes, I'm, I'm a Bitcoin and Bitcoin only guy. Uh, so those are the kind of things that I look at, um, whether it's companies or the actual physical asset. Um, the asset actually like, you know, Bitcoin uh, took a little run up today. I think it hit 21K. Um, so I but I do think it's going to kind of flatline overall as the price uh, goes compared to the U.S. dollar price. I think it's going to kind of float around this 17 to 22, 23K range for quite some time until we get closer to the next halving uh, for your listeners that might not know every four years, the amount of Bitcoin that's mined uh, gets cut in half. And so that's, so am I correct it. though, that it's not. So since Bitcoin became a thing in say 2009, it's happened to be every four years, but am I correct to say that it has more to do with the block, the blocks on the blockchain being filled. So in the future, it may not be four years. It may be three. It may be five, depending on how the blockchain gets filled. Yeah, you are correct in that. And it's been a little bit. So historically, it's been a little bit longer each time. So it hasn't been exactly four years, but it's been maybe like four years in one month. I think the current projection is, uh, you know, it happened in May 2020. I think the current projections in June 2020 in some point or 2024, excuse me. Right. Um, but what that does is it makes it more difficult for miners. And so, uh, you know, that's the thing that really worries me right now is I think there's like globally 50 public Bitcoin mining companies. Um, and we're seeing a lot of these energy costs go up, like we kind of said. So the way Bitcoin miners make money is they're, you know, they're capitalists at the end of the day. So they try to mine as much Bitcoin as possible, uh, utilizing those machines, but also utilizing the least amount of power and also finding ways to get that those power sources 
uh, for extremely cheap, you know, whether it's a couple of cents a kilowatt hour or what have you. Um, but where, what worries me is that we're, we're having the, um, you know, the hash rate kind of keep increasing, which means that, uh, you know, less and less is more miners are coming online. So less and less is mined by each miner. Uh, but the price has been relatively stable. And so what that means so more is miners, they're splitting the pie. The pie is not getting any bigger, but they're still splitting that same pie. So the, your slice is getting smaller. Exactly. And so um, a lot of these companies are not getting, uh, you know, you, you're already seeing them um, kind of maybe sell off some equipment. Um, a lot of these have loans, Bitcoin back loans. Some of them are having to sell off some of their Bitcoin reserves that they have. And of course, you know, they mined them when they were at 60K. And then now, uh, you know, they're selling them off at 20K. So uh, just to kind of make sure that they don't go under. Um, so that's what I'm kind of looking out for in these next couple of years. Well, we're experiencing a little audio difficulty with you. Uh, I'm sorry about that. So hopefully I'm back now um, and you can hear me. So um, you there? Dividend Dave, oh, you there? Unfortunately, you... your audio is just cut. Dang. Having real difficulty with your audio, which is very unfortunate because I wanted to also ask you about some other cryptos it sounds like you're only can you hear me in, now in in bitcoin but yeah try try again can you hear me now it's uh we're having issues here so all right well let me see oh, if I think, I can... are you back yeah i don't know can you oh, hear me now i think we're good okay i got i think we, you're restored Okay, so sorry about that. But basically, what I'm looking at is, uh, you know, to, to my point uh, earlier, is just, you know, a lot of these uh, miners, um, I'm going to be on the lookout for a lot of them that are using and finding cheap energy and kind of been, been positioning themselves for the long term. You know, like I kind of mentioned before, I, I have I had Ben Gagnon for Bit, from BitFarms on there, that company's primarily based in Ontario. Um, and so I, I kind of like that one going forward. Um, they're kind of diversifying yep. all over the globe. Uh, they just opened up a new site in Paraguay, I believe. Um, so they're kind of going down to Southern America. So, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, those are some good companies, but there's a lot that are just using strict, you know, electrical power from the grid. And those ones are going to have some tough times going forward. Um, right. But yeah, uh, sorry for my audio cutting out. I don't know if it's. No, I think uh, we're good now. That's unfortunate. Yeah. It happens because that's the world we live in. Um, exactly. I have a couple sort of questions and points about Bitcoin and crypto. I guess first question, if you just want to touch on it briefly, El Salvador, Bitcoin Beach, uh, first country to adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. What are your thoughts on, on El Salvador, the president of El Salvador? Anything, anything about, you know, be becoming legal tender? Your thoughts on Bitcoin in El Salvador? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm extremely bullish on the Lightning Network. So, you know, for those who don't really know what that is, is like every time you transact on Bitcoin, it's uh, if you do it on the layer one, it's, you know, seemingly more expensive. Um, and as the Bitcoin price has kind of gone up, it's a little bit slower. But what the Lightning Network does is it's kind of like a layer two technology so you can essentially make a bunch of transactions and then it's grouped into all in one. So they all kind of split the fees. So you do it for very cheap. Um, and that's what kind of El Salvador is doing. A lot of these companies, 
Um, you know, like Strike, you mentioned Bitcoin Beach. Uh, Jack Mahler's went down there and he uh, kind of was pioneering the whole Bitcoin as legal tender and the Bitcoin Beach area. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, those payment rails and, and other things like that um, are great. Uh, has it been perfect for El Salvador, you know, this whole time? No. Um, oh, they but- bought in really high and the, suddenly Bitcoin is really low. But I, I, I'm, I'm a believer like you in crypto that, and again, this is going back to the having, you know, reduce the supply, the price has to go up, right? I, I can't see how Bitcoin doesn't hit another all-time high. People are probably right now looking at, you're listening going, you're crazy, Bitcoin will never be $69,000 again. Well, wait till the next halving or or even the run-up to the next halving and then after the halving. And uh, I'm confident, convinced that it will... I'm not going to say you reach 100K or reach 250K or throw at any stupid number. I'm just saying I can't see how, you know, supply decreases, demand stays the same or increases and price goes up. It's supply and demand, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, that that's going to kind of continue. And, you know, a lot of people are giving El Salvador a lot of crap right now. But I mean, at the end of the day, it was a third world country, right? So, I mean, it's been legal yeah. tender for a year it's not going to be fixed overnight. El Salvador is one of those countries that can take a risk like this because of the financial situation it's in. And, you know, this risk, it seemingly has paid off. You know, there, there's a lot more tourism there. A lot more money is being flooded into the country. And, you know, I think uh, another thing is, is a lot of these Bitcoin companies are going to start moving down there. Right. So um, one thing that they made, it for was that or that one law that uh, the president Nayib Bukele recently made is that if you're a company that comes down and does uh, and works in El Salvador, but does business outside of El Salvador. So like many of these Bitcoin companies can do because everything's, you know, remote in, in this digital age, you don't have to pay any business tax. So, I mean, you know, if you employ people and they live in El Salvador, they're spending money and whatnot, like yeah. they're incentivizing companies to come down there. So, at the end of the day, it's all about incentives, right? Yeah. If people are unhappy with like having companies and like, you know, you, you've already seen it in the United States, right? You've seen companies like Tesla, Apple, Amazon. A lot of these companies start to move from California to Texas because it's, you know, there's higher incentives to move out there. People don't want to be paying an arm and a leg to live in Silicon yeah. Valley and everything like that. And they don't really think it's the place to be anymore. So I think... You know, the, it, as long as incentives continue to line up, I think El Salvador is going to be just fine and probably thrive in the next uh, few years. But are there going to be bumps in the road for Bitcoin as legal tender down there? Yeah, sure. There definitely is going to be. There has been already. Um, but I think, you know, Bukele is kind of doing this way to potentially get reelected. I know that, like, he, he kind of has to step down as president in order to do that. I had... Uh, Jaime Garcia on my State of Bitcoin podcast. We kind of went through the ins and outs of that. Um, but uh, so I don't want to like misquote anything like that. So, you know, it's shameless plug for my web or my uh, Bitcoin podcast. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'll be sure to have all the links for your podcasts and newsletters in the description below. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if anybody wants to check out that episode, he kind of goes into the way that Bukele could potentially do that because it's not like the United States where you could just run for a second term. Um, but I think like, you know, if he runs again, um, that would be very good. And I think like overall, like he's been cleaning it up, cleaning up the crime and everything like that too. So 
Um, I think Bitcoin is legal tender for El Salvador has been great. And I think, um, you know, it, it hasn't been perfect, but yeah. I didn't, didn't expect it to be. So, yeah, exactly. Nothing's going to be perfect in this type of early adoption. Um, moving on from Bitcoin, but sticking with cryptocurrency, I believe you said you were only Bitcoin. You're like a Bitcoin maxi by the sounds of it. Yep. Yeah, I would I would say that. Yeah, for sure. So can I interest you in some XRP? <laughs> no, no, you cannot. Uh, I mean, like I've I've kind of gone into it and, and I've, uh, you know, I I like to try to educate, I guess, people more more so on it and like tell people why I'm that way. Um, you know, I've I've dabbled in the, the altcoins and everything like that before. I've lost money, got burned. Um, and that's kind of made me into the, the Bitcoin maxi that I am is that I've seen a lot of people try to say, you know, this this coin is decentralized or this coin is does this better than bitcoin you know there's always all these claims but yeah um i think at the end of the day there's there's always that human element of it and that's what i like about bitcoin is the human element with bitcoin is a ton more people have heard of bitcoin like still to this like we're in only in getting to the end of 2022 there's a lot of people out there that have no idea what cryptocurrency is but some of them, a lot of them have at least heard of Bitcoin, even if they don't know what Bitcoin is, they've at least heard of it. Those same people would have no idea what Ethereum or XRP or Solana or, I mean, the list goes on. They would have no idea what any of those other ones are, right? Yeah, exactly. But, and, and I mean, the, the human element of a lot of those too is like, right, like Solana had their uh, their blockchain shut off for, for some time, right? And like Ethereum, they're doing this merge and it didn't work out, you know, super well and there's a lot of these like ceos and other things that are kind of like helping market these things right and i think the incentives behind cryptocurrency are just tremendous right like i mean you can say this crypto is does this you can put it on coinbase pay some money to get it on coinbase and it's going to shoot up you know 100x or whatever and you can rug pull everybody and I've, yeah. I've seen it time and time again and i think that you know I I'm always open to like, I guess, listen to it. But at this point, like I've just seen it so many times where I'm just like, I can't, I, yeah, like it, it's going to be very difficult to, to, you know, convince me of that. And yeah. I think too, at the end of the day, like by trade, I'm an engineer. And so I always think like, all right, is this logical to do it this way? And that's what I think of a lot of these projects is like, okay, does this really need a blockchain? Because essentially blockchain is a very slow and inefficient digital ledger. And right. so, you know, you don't need that for everything. You don't need that for all these different, um, you know, tasks or what have you. And so I think a lot of it is is almost like the dot-com boom where you put dot-com behind anything and they the stock price rises up. I think that's a lot of that with this Web3 and this cryptocurrency blockchain. Like a lot of these buzzwords that they're being thrown around and, you know, I I, a lot of Bitcoiners don't even say cryptocurrency anymore because uh, although Bitcoin is like, you know, quote unquote, like original cryptocurrency, like yeah. if you ask a Bitcoiner is Bitcoin crypto, a lot of them are going to probably say no just because of the, they want to distinguish the differences between the two. Yeah, uh, good points. And I, I guess like use case, right? There's so good, sort of going to your point, so many cryptos that, you know, get developed you know, become part of the blockchain or whatever. And then they're, they're a crypto. They sit there on the blockchain and then they look for a use case afterwards. 
And it's, it should be the other way around. You should have the use case first before you develop that crypto. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people call, you know, Bitcoin like the boomer crypto or whatever. And like, just because it's like boring, right? It's like Bitcoin at first was real sexy. It's this, uh, you know, cryptocurrency and all this going to change the world. But now everybody kind of understands the use case for, for it. And it's really just for like digital payments. And because yeah. of that, like people aren't, you know, as excited about it because it's not, you know, changing all this and that. But I think that's kind of like the beauty behind it, right? Is that it's simple, it works. And, you know, it's, it's been what, uh, since like late 2008, early 2009, when it was yeah. like kind of first, uh, the, I think the Genesis block was mined early 2009. So, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, like the use case has been almost proven at this point and, uh, it'll kind of pay 10,000 Bitcoins for one pizza. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, that's some pizza, right? So, I mean, I, I've heard a lot of those stories. Uh, I got first kind of exposed to it in 2012 when, uh, I was a freshman in college and one of my buddies was at university of Texas. And he said, uh, you know, somebody came into his business school and told him about Bitcoin. He's like, it's the future. And then I didn't hear anything about it for like six or seven more years. So I kind of wish I, maybe I listened at that point in yeah. time, but you know, maybe I'd be in a different spot than I'm at right now. But, uh, you know, it, you, you live and learn. And I think like, you know, at the end of the day, people get into Bitcoin at the price that they deserve. And I think, you know, being open-minded and kind of doing a lot of research on this, you'll, I, I think everybody will kind of come around to the, the Bitcoin maximalism sooner or later. It just, uh, hopefully like they don't lose a lot of money in the, in the short term with, uh, right. you know, maybe dabbling in some of these projects that aren't the best. So I'm kind of opposite. I have like a very small position in Bitcoin, but going back to XRP, I do have a lot of, not a lot. I have a nice little chunk of XRP, Again, going back to it does have a use case. It does have the cross-border payment, et cetera. And hopefully if ever the SEC lawsuit ever ends, maybe someday, maybe XRP will become one of the more, well, it already is one of the more popular cryptos, but become one of the more, like you say, proven use case, proven methods of payment, right? Well, see, that's what that's what worries me right there, right? It's like you're like, well, if the SEC, you know, kind of gets around it, right? Or like SEC approves it at the end of the day, right? Because I mean, when there's different, when there's multiple touch points, you know, and it's not like truly decentralized, that's when something can be controlled. And so I think, you know, as far as like the SEC and regulation goes, I think they love Ethereum. They love things like XRP. Oh. They love Ethereum a little too much. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, if you world, I think is on the World Economic Forum or something, they had it. One of the top articles was the Ethereum merge. And so, like, you know, that that should be kind of some red flags around there because, you know, that that's something that they can, like, monitor a little bit more. The thing that worries me deeply is uh, the development of central bank digital currencies or CBDCs. Yes. Uh, you know, maybe uh, governments kind of trying to issue money uh and and do it that way and trying to get rid of you know these privatized banks um because then one you're not going to get those juicy dividend stocks that we are uh, we we're talking about earlier yeah and two, like you could just monitor you know everything that you're spending money on right so if you are out late and uh they'll, they'll cut cut off your spending right or if you gamble too much or if you you know watch porn or do something that they don't deem as you know acceptable. morally acceptable yeah, exactly. So it's just like kind of uh, these things where, 
you're going to, and obviously I'm not condoning any of that stuff. I'm just kind of using that as an example. People are going to do it though, right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, it's like at the end of the day, like, do you want all that, you know, kind of control from your government? Then it's kind of like big brothers always watching, right? Whenever you want to spend any money anywhere, um, that's always going to be kind of a use case too. So, I mean, I like the decentralized nature of uh, Bitcoin because, you know, you got miners everywhere. You can have a miner in your home if you want. Um, yeah. And you could have a node in your home if, if you want to. And like, you know, I, I could have a node and Michael Saylor, who has, you know, a ton of Bitcoin can can have a node and I can own like 0.001 Bitcoin and he can own hundreds of thousands of Bitcoin. But if I say I don't want this passed on my node and, uh, you know, he does, I, can, I have just as much say on my node as he does on his. Right. So I think that's like, you know, the kind of kind of things that kind of draw me to it um, is that it just, you know, you can't really get be controlled. And the, the little guy has as much voice as the big guy, too. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, great little uh, segue at the end here. Different for this type of podcast talking about uh, crypto, cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, et cetera, et cetera. It's been a great we're well over an hour already. Uh, and thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Passive Income Podcast. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on any of the audio platforms, please be sure to subscribe. We're getting very close to 700, 700 subscribers on YouTube, so that's exciting. And yeah, thank you so much to Brandon at Green Candle IT on Twitter. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the podcast this evening, this afternoon, whatever time of day it is you're watching this. <laughs> Yeah, of course. I was uh, it was a pleasure coming on, and yeah, everybody subscribe to his channel and uh, get him past seven hundred. Let's do nice. it. Nice, awesome. Thank you so much. And like I said, all the all your links will be in the d- description below. And signing off. All right, click man. that subscribe button. Join the podcast income posse. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs>